Father in heaven, may you please continue to guide us as we look at more quotes, as we look at your scripture, that you would please speak to our hearts with your Holy Spirit. Help us to grow in faith more and more and to understand these topics of justification and sanctification that we're about to look at. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, more quotes. I just wanted to go through this real quickly. We looked at justification yesterday, and um, I just want to attach some quotes to that. Justification and also sanctification we're going to look at real quick, okay? But look, at this is a really interesting quote that we have to try to grasp our mind around and put, put this into something practical here. The Faith I Live By, page 116, paragraph 2. She says this, The righteousness by which we are justified is imputed. Okay? The righteousness by which we are sanctified is what? Imparted. The first is our title to heaven. The second is our fitness for heaven. Okay? So this one, imputed righteousness, and imparted righteousness, imputed is our title to heaven. It's like our ticket. The second is our fitness. Okay? Now, what does it mean to impute versus impart? Now, impart, I think, is a bit more clear. Um, let's say I impart food to you every day, right? You need to eat, here's food. I'm imparting, I'm imparting, I'm giving it to you every day. But imputed righteousness is this. Let me give you a timeline of our life, okay? We born, we die. And since our birth, since we could, we have committed, oops, why did I, 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 it's S-I, sin, okay? We lived a life of sin all our life until we met Jesus, okay? Whatever age that is, and we ask God to forgive us, all right? What He does is He imputes His righteousness on us. And at that very point in time, when we ask for forgiveness, it's as if we have never sinned before. Okay? And so His righteousness, His life that He lived, is like stamped upon us. Bang, that's us. But we can't do it if we don't confess our sin, right? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, to forgive us our sins. So everything is washed away. And now it's like wearing that robe of righteousness. It's almost like putting on a costume and we look exactly like Jesus now. And God looks at our life like we've never sinned all our life. Because He doesn't see us anymore. He sees who? He sees Jesus. So He imputes on us his righteousness. What did we do? Nothing. Except believe. And of course, confess our sin. Right? So, did we do anything worthy of getting this righteousness? No. And that's justification. 
It's imputed upon us. Bang! Just like that. But then sanctification is something that's imparted to us every day. Okay? His righteousness that must be given to us every single day of our life. All right? And I just want you to see that as we go through these quotes. So this is justification and sanctification. Faith and Works, page 111, paragraph 1. There are conditions to our receiving justification and sanctification and the righteousness of Christ. I know your meaning, but you leave a wrong impression upon many minds. I guess she was referring to somebody who was talking about this topic. While good works will not save even one soul, nothing good we do will ever save us, yet it is impossible. It is what? Impossible for even one soul to be saved without good works. That's what I call balance. Good works will never save you. However, if you have no good works, you'll never be saved. (laughs) That's what she's saying. God saves us under a law that we must ask if we would receive, seek if we would find, and knock if we would have the door open to us. But what we have there in yellow and underlined is exactly what I'm trying to point out here. Okay? Good works never saves us. But faith that produces those good works, that will save us. It's impossible for even one soul to be saved without those good works, even though it doesn't, does not, does not save us. Okay? This is how faith and works go together. Is there some kind of danger for people to think we must have faith and works? Plus works. What do you mean? Yes. Um, Look, we do have to be concerned about our works. Why? Look, we're not perfect. At the end of the day, I go home and, you know, my wife said, Ben, why did you say that? I'm like, said what? (laughs) And she tells me, well, you did this, you did this, and that's not the right thing to do. I'm like, oh. Yeah, true. You know? We have to just still go back to the mirror and look at that, that, that mirror that reflects our, our own character and what, where we fall short. We don't have to be concerned with it, but realizing that that's not what changes us. But the next time we walk out, do I have to be wary of that? Of course. It's something that's, you know, humanly, it's in the back of our mind, whether we like it or not. You know? But the fact that we are able to overcome it it's a result of our faith. And that's it. It's a simple. <clears throat> well, it depends. I mean, from a preacher's standpoint, I have to talk about your behavior. You know why? Because you don't think you're bad. So, oh, no, no. The problem with those you see in churches, they don't know. Knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked. The problem with those you see in churches, they don't know that they're bad. And that's why we had to point that out and then point them to the Savior. The reason why you're this way is because you're lacking in your devotional life. Buy of me gold, tried in the fire, that's faith, right? And the white raiment, which is what? The righteousness of the saints. And anoint thine eyes with eyes, that thy may see, which is what? The word of God. The reason why people are bad is because they're not studying the Bible. We have to show them because they don't think that they're bad. That's why we have to talk about fruit. But it's not the fruit that saves them. It's a fruit that will now then realize, oh yeah, I am short on many things as a Christian. And I have to go back to the Word of God. You see that? So, from the personal standpoint, 
How do we know that we need Jesus? How? It's the mirror. Right? What does the mirror do? Okay, what is the mirror? It's the law of God, right? And what does the law do in this world? It only tells you when you've fallen short. Do you ever see a policeman pull you over and say, uh, good job for staying within the speed limit? Do you ever see a policeman do that? No, the policeman only pulls you over when what? You've done something wrong, right? That's all it does, but that's the basis by which you will understand that, you know what? Yeah, I have done something wrong. It's time to change, right? You don't feel scared until the policeman pulls you over (laughs) and stops you for speeding. Or else we just go on and on thinking it's okay to do this when it isn't. So there's a cooperation between the two. And we're going to go through these quotes, all right? It'll be clearer. It'll be clearer. Faith I live by, page 111, paragraph 2. What is justification by faith? It is the work of God in laying the glory of man in the what? In the dust. And doing for man that which it is not in his power to do for himself. When men see their own nothingness, they are prepared to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Do you see that? God has to knock you down before he can build you up. Because we have too much pride and self-confidence thinking we can do it ourselves. So justification by faith, what is it? It's the work of God in laying, what? The glory of man in the dust. Look, there's nothing good in you. The minute you start thinking that, you got problems, you got issues. Why? You feel like you don't need God anymore, isn't it? So the first work that must be done is really what? For God to humble us and help us to do that. And then as a result, when we see that, you know what? I'm weak and I'm useless. But you know, many times we don't learn. We, we don't realize our weakness and our uselessness and our nothingness until we've gone through like some major crisis in our life. Isn't it? We don't wake up until that point. Sanctification by faith. <clears throat> Our high calling, 214, paragraph 5. I'm sorry, if, you, if you're trying to write out the whole paragraph, I want to suggest you just write out the, this, this um, reference. Okay? Our high calling, page 214, paragraph 5. Sanctification is a state of holiness without and within being holy and without, reserve the Lord's, not in form, but in truth. Every impurity of thought, every lustful passion separates the soul from God. For Christ can never put His robe of righteousness upon a sinner to do what? To hide His deformity. There must be a progressive work of triumph over evil, of sympathy with good, a reflection of the character of Christ. We must walk in the light which will increase and grow brighter unto the perfect day. This is real substantial growth which will finally attain to the full stature of men and women in Jesus Christ. And you know, as I'm reading this, I'm reminded of another quote that I know is there somewhere. She says, um, 
We are not required to do the work of a lifetime in a day. I want you to see this. There must be a progressive work. Progressive being the word that I really want to emphasize. A progressive work of triumph over evil. In other words, what? No one, even when they're born again, they do not in that instant are perfect in a sense of what? I will never ever fall in anything ever again. Because why? God, He'll deal with my temper first. Oh, and I struggle, 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 struggle. And praise the Lord, finally He gives me that victory over that temper. And then He makes you realize, uh, Ben, uh, now you've got to keep the Sabbath. Oh, and then it becomes a struggle again. Struggle, 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 right? And then you, you get married and your temper comes back. Ah, oh, you've got to struggle, struggle, struggle. You know what I mean? And he's helping you to grow. I'm not, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to excuse sin. When, when you struggle with one sin for your whole life, that's not, that's not mistakes anymore. That's rebellion. But when you struggle with that sin, you overcome it. And he shows you another sin in your life. And you struggle with that, and then he shows you another sin in your life, and you struggle with that, and you overcome. That's what I'm thinking about when it says progressive work of triumph over evil. You know what I mean? It's not you're struggling with the Sabbath 50 years of your life, and you know, from day one, you're much different from day 50, or year 50, and you, year one, you won't even come into church. Year 50, now you are. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where he allows you to make your mistake in this area of your life because he hasn't dealt with it yet. And then he shines a spotlight on that now. He wants you to deal with this. Through someone gave you a message or someone talked with you or you read a book. Or, you know what I mean? And then you struggle with it because it hasn't been the habit of your life. And then you overcome that by God's grace. But then now he turns another spotlight on in this area of your life. You see that? That's progressive work of triumph over evil. We must walk in the light, which will what? Increase and grow brighter unto the perfect day. This is real, substantial growth, which will finally attain to the full stature of men and women in Jesus Christ. So we must have a measurable way that we're seeing, hey, things are changing in my life, praise the Lord. That's sanctification. But, it's a state of holiness. Every impurity of thought, lustful passion, separates the soul from God. So you know where the impurity of thought comes from? Our mind. We're going to see how to grow in faith. SDA Bible Commentary, Volume 7, page 908, paragraph 13. The true sign of sanctification those who dishonor God by, by transgressing His law may talk sanctification, but it, is not, but it is of that value and just as acceptable as was the offering of Cain. Obedience to all the commandments of God is the only true sign of sanctification. Disobedience is a sign of disloyalty and apostasy. Look, how do you know that you are being sanctified? Obedience to all the commandments of God. It is the only true what? Sign. It is not the basis of our salvation. It is only the true sign 
of sanctification. If you're not obeying the commandments of God, it's because you're not experienced sanctification, you're not experienced justification, we need to go back to the drawing board, isn't it? Fundamentals of Christian Education, page 432, paragraph 3. There is no sanctification aside from what? Aside from what? The truth. The word. How, then how essential that it should be understood by everyone. What should be understood by everyone? Hey? Nope. The Word. <laughs> there is no sanctification aside from the truth, the Word of God. Then how essential that this should be understood by everyone so that we can be what? Sanctified. Right? Faith and Works, page 30, paragraph 3. Every transgressor of God's law is a sinner and none can be sanctified while living in what? Known sin. Look, if you don't know that you're living in sin, guess what? You're not sinning. Don't, I mean, the act of it is sinning, yes, but God does not hold you accountable for that sin if you don't know it is sin. There are many people out there that break the Sabbath every week, but they're not sinning. Because they don't know. But you guys know. So it becomes sin to you. Do you realize that? So every transgressor of God, God's law, cannot be sanctified while living in known sin. Okay? The Faith I Live By, page 116, paragraph 8. There is no such thing as instantaneous sanctification. True sanctification is a what? Daily work continuing as long as life shall last. Sanctification is like marriage. You never graduate from it. Just because you had 10 years of faithful marriage, it doesn't guarantee another 10 years of faithful marriage, right? Just because you have been living a sanctified and perfect life for 10 years, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to live a sanctified and perfect life tomorrow. <laughs> it's a daily work. And that's why I was talking about our devotion yesterday, that sometimes it's so easy to get caught up that, oh God, I didn't sin today even though I skipped my devotion. Right? It gets us self-secure about our own spiritual state. It's okay to skip once in a while. You know, and sometimes we measure it like a bar, right? I, I got this much holiness. Today I didn't, oh, but I'm still holy. You know what I mean? And we look at our, our, our walk with God like that. And then, oh, 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 didn't do it the whole week? Time to do it for one whole day. Boom. Blow it back up, isn't it? No, sanctification is a work that we must do every day. It's a daily work. Continuing how long? As long as life shall last. You never graduate from this. This is where we're all on the same playing field. No matter how short a time you've been a Christian, no matter how long a time you've been a Christian. Right? 
Christ's Object Lessons, page 65. Sanctification is a work of a lifetime. And one more. Testimonies for the Church, volume 1, page 340. Sorry, did I go too fast on the previous one? Christ's Object Lessons, page 65. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, page 340. Sanctification is not the work of a moment, an hour, or a day. It is continual growth in grace. Continual growth in grace. This is why our fitness for heaven is something that must take place every day of our life. A person who's running a race that trains, they've got to train nearly every day, isn't it? They've got to know when to rest their bodies. They've got to know when they've got to push their bodies to train. Same with the Christian journey. We're on a race that we're told to run towards heaven. And every day we train... Righteousness is imparted to us. It's an everyday affair. It's an everyday affair. There are those that will go on holiday and they'll come back uh, over their weight limit. Like a, I know there's boxing. They have to be in a certain age, uh, weight range, right, to, to compete. But when you're over that, they don't allow you to compete. You have to fight vigorously to go back down under that weight. Sometimes, you know, when we let go of God, it's not so easy to just walk into Satan's domain and then, like, when we feel like it, just to walk out again. Ellen White says, don't think that Satan lets go of his prey so easily. You know, when we stray, and it's just like how, you know, Jesus, when he was a little boy, 12 years old, <clears throat> his parents... They lost him, right? But how long had they been gone before they realized that Jesus was not there? No. They lost him for one day. It took them three days to find him. And that is what it is like for us sometimes. We lose Christ and we don't walk with him for a week. Don't think you can make that up in a day. It might take you weeks or months to get back Christ in your heart. Do you see that? You might not do it for a day, but it'll take you three days of crying and mourning and tears and soul-searching to find Christ again. It's a work that must be done every single day of our life. So, how do we fight this good fight of faith? How do we run this race? I'd like to go through a few illustrations with you this morning. Come with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at the armor of God. Can I turn this off now? It's okay. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. And let's start in verse 12. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. Let me use the whiteboard here for a minute. 
So the Bible says what? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. As a result, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with what? Truth. Okay, so what do we call that? It's a belt of truth. Okay, that's the first piece of clothing or armor we're asked to put on, right? What's the second? Having the breastplate of what? Righteousness. Okay? Verse 15. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So the shoes of what? Of the gospel. Shoes of the gospel. Okay? Verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So it's a shield of faith. Verse 16. Oh, sorry, that was 16. Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. So that's another one. Helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is what? Word of God. Sword of the Spirit. I think this one's clear. It's the Word of God, the Bible, right? And then lastly, but not least, verse 18. Praying with always, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Prayer. It's mentioned last, but it's certainly not the least thing that we should be doing. So, here is the armor of God. My question is, what is all these things? What is the belt of truth? Anybody know? How do you put on the belt of truth? What is that? What is truth? The commandments? Does anyone have a Bible text to tell me what the, the, is the belt of truth? The belt of truth is just dependence of what God has revealed His word. Bible text, Bible text. Does anybody have a Bible text to tell us what is the belt of truth? Or what is truth? John 14, 26. Let's go there. John 14, 6. Okay, so the Bible says, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So, let's put that down. John 14, 6. It is what? Jesus. But how do we make this practical? How do we put on Jesus? 
John 17, 17. Let's go there. Somebody read that for me real quick. Uh, that's not fair. You know that already. <laughs> Come on, somebody else that doesn't know the text off the top of their mind. <laughs> what is truth? Thy word, okay? And look, anytime you see Jesus, you can rightly in- insert the Bible, and anytime you see the Bible, you can ins- rightly insert Jesus as well, okay? Because Jesus is the word, right? And the word is also the scripture. And the Bible tells us about Jesus in John 5.39. So really, they, they, they work synonymously with one another. So when we put on the belt of truth, that's the Bible. What's the breastplate of righteousness? What is righteousness? What's righteous? Can you think of anything? First John chapter 2, verse 1. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. There's many things that are righteous. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Who? Jesus Christ, the righteous. So what? Jesus is righteous. How do we put on Jesus? What else is righteous? You know, during our three sessions that we had uh, yesterday, I told you something that was righteous. Do you remember? Faith? No, it's righteousness by faith. That's how we get righteousness. The Word of God, okay, but where? (laughs) Psalms 119, 172. We, We turned to that yesterday. Can you see this from the back? It's big enough? Okay. Psalms 119, 172. My tongue shall speak of thy word for what? Nope. (laughs) Wrong misquote, madam. For all thy commandments are righteousness. Where Where do we find that? It's the Bible. Do you see that? It's the commandments of God. And we find that written in the scriptures. Shoes of the gospel. What's the gospel? What does the word gospel mean? Good news. What's that? (laughs) It's the scriptures. (laughs) It's not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay? That's really good news. But the whole gospel is really, you you even find the gospel in Genesis 3 after Adam and Eve sinned. God made them coats of skin. That's good news. Genesis 3.15, He said, I'm going to put enmity or hatred between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. That's good news. You see? The whole Bible is the gospel. Shield of faith. What's the shield of faith? How do we get faith? Ah, Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Do you all know that text? Romans 10, 17. If you don't, let's all go there real quick. So then, 
Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Bible. Do you see a, do you see a trend here that's taking place? A pattern that's taking place here? <laughs> the helmet of salvation. We also saw a text yesterday on this as well. There's none other name under heaven whereby men might be saved. Whose name is that? It's Jesus. But I told you, every time you see Jesus, you see what? The Scriptures. Look. When you're talking about the armor of God, it's all really pointing to one thing. Just one. The Bible. And Jesus says in John 5.39, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. Christ was speaking. Who is the way, the truth, and the life. You want to have life, you have to have Jesus. You want to have Jesus, you have to have... What? The Bible. Do you see that? But not just the Bible, you must have faith (laughs) in those scriptures. Believing that God loves you. And He knows what's for our best good. (laughs) So that when we begin to read the Scriptures, it's like, God, yeah, you really do know better. Even though it's a struggle because I've done this all my life and now you tell me to do this. But our whole experience really comes back down to our time in the Word of God. Just like that tree yesterday. You can't see its roots. You can't see the roots of a tree. Do you ever see anybody see bad leaves and bad, tree, uh, bad fruits and they go and dig the tree and pull the tree out of the, the, the ground? Do you ever see anyone do that? Oh yeah, they've got bad roots. That's, we don't even do that in the natural world, right? What do we do when you, when you see a tree with bad fruits and bad leaves? Fertilizer, water, vitamin water... I don't know, uh, UV light, <laughs> not enough sunlight. I don't know. We, we try to do everything, right? We dig around and we, we try to pour stuff on. Look, no one can see your devotional life. But they can see your fruits. Right? They can see your fruits. But I'm telling you, if you're doing this and this in the quietness of your own room, in your closet, no one sees. When you come out, everyone will see your good works. They'll see the change in your life because you've been doing that, right? You've been practicing. In what way? When you read Bible stories, in the Bible, and you see how David committed sin, and you see, saw his repentance so deep, and you tell yourself, God, help me to have a repentance like that. In your mind, you're practicing, you're thinking about this. You're storing up the treasures of the Word of God in your mind. You're hiding it there. Right? When you read the story of Joseph, and, and he said to Potiphar's wife, what did he say to her when she said, come, lie with me? He said what? 
how can I commit this great sin against who? God. And he left his jacket and he ran away. And then you tell yourself, God, help me to run away from sin just like that. You're practicing. You're storing the rich treasures of the Word of God in your mind. In what way? What are you thinking when you read about Joseph running away from Potiphar's wife? Tell me, can somebody tell me what are you imagining in your mind right there and then? Tell me. Is Potiphar's wife in your mind lying down or she's sitting or she's lying on the bed or lying on the couch? Where is she? Where is she in your mind? Tell me, tell me. I'm, I'm serious. I'm not trying to play with you here. Tell me. Bedroom. Anyone else have a different place? In the living room? Anywhere else? Do you see how our imagination is so different? I imagine her lying on a couch. With like grapes there. <laughs> Come, Joseph. You know what I mean? Do you imagine Joseph with an Egyptian haircut or a Hebrew haircut? Okay, we're all on the same page with that one. But what does an Egyptian haircut look like? Oh, you've seen it in the, the, the Bible story, right? <laughs> but look, when Pastor Sligo was saying this morning, take your, let your imagination grasp each scene and take it scene by scene. You cannot imagine how powerful the imagination is. Come to Psalms chapter 1 and verse 2. Actually, let's, to get context, let's start in verse 1. Psalms chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And I, I, wanna, I want you to, I mean, I'm not trying to get you to imagine bad things, okay? Like Potiphar's wife was half naked. I don't want you to imagine that. But I, I want you to, you know, pause on these things and let your imagination take you with what you're reading. You know, I love, I love reading the end of 2 Samuel, where, where David and his mighty men, talks about how this guy slew 300 men. This one took like a rod and he had a spear and he took his spear and he killed him with his own spear. You know, I love talking, because I, man, man, what a mighty man. I would love to be a mighty man, you know? That's just amazing how, how Samson, he took a, the, the jawbone of a donkey and he killed so many people. Do you imagine about these things? It's just amazing how David was hiding in the cave of Adullam with his army, 400 of them. Oh, right? Do you think about these things? Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in what? The law of the Lord, and what? In his law does he meditate day and night. What's the first religion you think of when I say the word meditate? Buddhism. Right? Sitting there, closing your eyes, whatever they're doing, I don't know. But the Bible tells us to meditate on the law of God day and night. You know what the word meditate means? Imagine. Ponder. Muse. Hmm, what would it be like? 
when Joseph was sitting in prison, how did he feel? Two years. Do you realize how two years, how long two years is? You know, he says it in one sentence, but two years. Right? That you're sitting there and this guy forgot all about you. You know what I mean? Imagine with me, Joseph is brought to the court of Potiphar, uh, of Pharaoh now, and he's about to tell the dream, right? And then Pharaoh exalts him, and he makes him what? Prime Minister of Egypt, yeah? Can you imagine the courtroom for a minute? Tell me, other than Pharaoh, who else is there? Huh? The other ministers? Okay, but who? Imagine. Just sit there and ponder about it for a minute. Who else is in the court there, in Pharaoh's throne room with Joseph and Pharaoh? Sorcerers? Wife? Soldiers? Oh, keep going, keep going. Soldiers. You really think all the soldiers will be there? Who, who would Pharaoh really have in there? His general. Who is that? Potiphar. Right? And you know who else is there? Standing behind Pharaoh? Yes, sir. Have a drink. The cupbearer. One forgot about him and one falsely accused him. <laughs> and here they see before their own eyes, Joseph is now above them. What do you think they're thinking? Revenge is coming. Right? You just imagine it. Think about it. Let your mind run wild. Do you see that? Desire of Ages how, described how Jesus was slapped in the courtroom. And when he was hit, it was at that time that Peter denied Christ again. And it describes Jesus' face full of love and mercy and forgiveness. Can you imagine that? Boom! I still love you. <laughs> Can you imagine that? <laughs> I'll be like, oh, I told you. <laughs> you deny me, right? That's what I would think. Let, let your imagination go wild. You have to learn to ponder, to meditate upon the Word of God. Not just do my devotion and pray. That's it. No, your devotion must go beyond the confines of your room or wherever you are reading the Bible. And ponder upon it. How often? What did Psalms 1 verse 2 say? Day and night. Does that mean you should read your Bible day and night? No. But when you're, when you're late for work and you finish your, your, your devotion and you're in the elevator and you're waiting there, like, hmm, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about the movie you watched the previous night? Are you thinking about your computer game? Are you thinking about your girlfriend or boyfriend? What are you meditating on because all of us meditate on something right and the Christian that continues to meditate on the word of God no matter where he goes 
He will never sin. Do you see that? Because that word is his faith. It's his life. And he has no room for anything else. And that's why movies are so dangerous. You know, they say a picture tells a thousand words, right? How about a thousand pictures running side by side for a whole hour? (laughs) A billion words. And then the Bible becomes so distasteful to you. And when you're praying, you see Captain America fly across your imagination. Right? And people, they don't delight in the Word of God. They look at it as a duty. It's not their delight. It's a chore. If I want to go to heaven, I have to do this. That's not how our devotional life should be. The Word of God must so consume our life. Ellen White says, if you want to choose you want to choose recreation. She says, the only type of recreation that is suitable for a Christian, do you know what it is? There's only one, uh, how do you say it? One thing that she, she says, if you can do this in your recreation, then it's fit for you to do. You know what it is? It's fine time for secret prayer. If in your recreation you are able to have prayer, then that's good for you to do. Can you pray while you're watching a movie? Yes or no? Can you pray while you're playing your games on your phones and your tablets? No, that means it's not suitable for you. And so when, you know, our phones have become a source of meditation. You know why? When I'm at the bus stop. Right? When I'm on the elevator. When I'm in the toilet. Whenever I have free time, It's always pull out the phone now, isn't it? But what are you doing with your phone? Are you able to meditate on the Word of God day and night? You see that? And if you, you know, look, as human beings, we have to study, we have to work, right? If you are studying something that is going against God's law, you shouldn't do it. It's full stop. But there's nothing wrong with studying medicine. There's nothing wrong with studying accounting. It's not causing you to sin by studying accounting, right? Can you meditate on God's Word while you're studying? Yes or no? Yes or no? This is not a trick question. I'm just asking you, are you able to do it? No, you're not. But my question is, when you finish your studies, what's the first thing you think about? Apart from food and needing to eat and needing to sleep. But what else are you meditating on? Unless you're thinking of sleeping all day long. Okay, that's just bad. Right? But the first thing that usually comes to our mind is what is the source of our joy, the source of our comfort, the source of what we love to do and helps us to de-stress and unwind from a long day of work or studies. That is our meditation. An illustration that comes to mind is something that I've heard. How a bird, when it builds a nest, after it's built its nest and lays its eggs and the chicks are hatched, the mother bird has to go and work and she finds the worms. But as soon as she's done, she comes back. 
And when you've done your studies, you've done your work, you had to go and work, you had to go and study, but when you can, then you come back to God. Let it be the source of your meditation throughout the whole day. Whenever you have that free moment and you're not having to focus on coding or crunching numbers or studying, then you have that free moment. What are you thinking about? It's not enough just to read your Bible in the morning. You have to take God's Word with you everywhere. Come with me to 1 John. Sorry, I've forgotten how much time we have left again. Have we gone over time already? Not yet, okay. 1 John chapter 3. Sorry, did I say verse 4? I meant verse 9. 1 John chapter 3 verse 9. 1 John chapter 3 verse 9. How can we live a victorious life? I'm telling you, it has everything to do with these two things, the Bible and prayer. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, the Bible says, Whosoever is born of God does not, or doth not commit what? Sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Do you know what the word cannot is? Even if you try, you cannot. It's that connotation, isn't it? It gives that sort of thought process. If you're born of God, it is an impossibility. You cannot sin. Now tell me, apart from being born of God in that verse there, what aligns with what it means to be born of God? In 1 John 3, 9, what else is the application of what it means to be born of God? That's the result. But something that tells us what it means to be born of God. His seed remains in him. Do you see that? The seed remains in him. What's the seed? The Word of God. You're right. Let me give you a Bible text real quick. Luke chapter 8, okay? You're right. Luke chapter 8, verse 11. You know that parable about the seed and the four grounds? Luke chapter 8, verse 11, it says, Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. So, you know, you could turn to there in your own time, but it's just a short text. Look, in order for us to be born again, the definition of that in that verse in 1 John, it means the seed remains in you. The Word of God remains in you. Too many times the Word of God does not remain in us, and as a result, we sin. Isn't it? True? We forget the Word of God, or we don't know the Word of God, or we haven't been spending time in the Word of God, so we can't remember it. The Word of God must remain in you. To the fact, or to the point where it will change you, Do you see that? I described some people's devotions yesterday. You read the Bible, you go to work, you come back, the next day you read the same phrase, the same passage again, because you forgot what you read. It didn't remain with you. 
you cannot keep something and remember it if you don't understand it. Do you know that? It has to have some meaning to you for you to keep it there. And that's why many people's devotions, it never grows, it never helps them to have victory. Because they're not allowing the Word of God to stay within their heart. But what else is the seed? What else is the seed? Galatians 3.16. Galatians chapter 3 verse 16. What else is the seed? Apart from the Word of God. Okay, Galatians chapter 3. It's after Corinthians. Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. Do you, do you guys have trouble remembering Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians? It's very easy. Let me tell you. For the Americans, they always say this, General Electric Power Company. General Electric Power Company. Okay? GEPC. Go eat popcorn. That's the other one that I use. I don't know why. I just, I've always remembered that one. I just made up a phrase and that was all I could think of. Okay. All right. So, G-E-P-C, Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is who? Christ. I told you, wherever you see the Bible, you see who? Jesus. So, you know, when you take the Scripture with you wherever you go, you're taking the Word of God, you're really taking Jesus, because He is the Word. So that's where our life must begin to change. And I believe I talked about this last year at AOI. But do you take Jesus with you everywhere? Romans chapter 13, it says, put on Jesus. That was part of the theme of AOI for this year. (laughs) Put on Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Romans 13, verse 14. You know? We have to put on Christ wherever we go. Christ is not a part-time occupation for Christians. He's a full-time commitment. Right? The reason why men commit adultery is because their wife is not the first thing in their mind. Another woman has taken their place. Do you see that? The reason why we sin is because Christ is not the first thing in our mind. The world is. So where do you begin? Like I said, this is how we build our faith. It's in our devotional time. But it is throughout your life when you walk outside of the four walls of your house, you realize what sort of faith you have. When you encounter people, when you encounter situations, when you encounter conflicts, right? Then you will realize what sort of faith you have. And if you already know what sort of faith you have, then it's time to go back and start to meditate upon the Word of God. Day and night. Let this be the source of all our joy and comfort. Let us learn to love what is in here and not the things of the world. But you know, at the beginning, right? 
it doesn't come without a struggle. True? Romans chapter 8, for the carnal mind is enmity against God. And it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And it also says what? Spiritual things are spiritually discerned, right? The carnal mind and the spiritual mind are totally opposite to one another. And that's where justification must take place. Because if you are truly justified by faith, God can give you the taste and the enjoyment of the spiritual things. Do you know when God destroys the wicked, He's doing them a favor? Do you know that? Because no sinner would find enjoyment in heaven. It would be torture to them. In Revelation chapter 6, when Christ comes, the wicked, you know what they're saying to, to the rocks and the mountains? Fall on us. When Jesus comes, they're like, mountain, fall on us. I've never wished that myself or anything. But then when they see Jesus, they're like, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him that sitteth upon the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb. But do you know that Jesus does not change? When He comes, there'll be a group that says, I wish I was dead. And then there'll be another group that says, we have waited for you. <laughs> He's the same. And it's just like what? The sun with two elements. Clay and wax. What happens when the sun hits clay? It hardens it. What happens when the sun hits a wax? It melts. Same sun, two different effects. It's not because Christ has changed, but because He's changing our heart. And that can only take place in the Word of God and prayer. Nothing else. Do you see how essential and how important this book is to us? This really is the burden of all my preaching. Because if you would just spend time in this, you'd be all right. <laughs> you'd have no problems whatsoever. At least not with your faith. You'd have problems in life, right? Because <laughs> Cain killed righteous Abel because he was righteous. But those are not the problems we should be worried about, as we heard this morning, right? So Enoch, he was translated to Noah. He had to stay and deal with these people. <laughs> but let that be God's problem. For us, let us make sure we learn to walk with God every day. Every day. Not one day must we miss. And then we will see growth in grace. Then we can experience righteousness by faith. Then, as we are claiming these promises and allowing the Word of God to change us, then the fruits will come automatically, so long as the roots are good, right? And the water source is good, of course, which Jesus is that living water. This is how we can begin. And really, it's the only place we can have for our source of righteousness, it's the Scriptures. Any questions before we close this session? 
part of the justify the righteous and the perfect to make people all to be more in every balance within the faith that they want to go through. I'm sorry, I don't understand your question. What is the substance of the faith between the perfect, justified, and righteous? What is the substance between the perfect, yes, justified, and righteous? Yes, the righteous and then the more balancing between the faith that they need to measure it, that they need to measure it for God. I don't know how to answer that one, brother. Yeah. I'm sorry. The measurement <laughs> of faith. You know, okay. Is there any other questions? We'll go back to you on that one later. Any other questions, though? Yes, Auntie. I think you were saying that there was a time in your life when you were rushing out for work. Yes. And you forgot that you need to do some quiet time with the Lord. Yes. And you went back into the house and you spent five minutes doing the school lesson. Yep. So, um, you should be spending more than just five minutes, isn't it? Of course. Of course. <laughs> so... Did you hear at the back? You did? Uh, no? Okay. So well, the question was, you know, the, yesterday I was sharing about how there was a time when I was rushing out for work and I went back and I s- spent five minutes in the Sabbath school lesson and then I, I went off. Um, should we be spending more than five minutes? Absolutely. But you know what? You got to grow and start somewhere, you know, and let it grow. I mean, of course, I'll be worried if I was still spending five minutes today um, after, what, 15 years of beginning this devotional walk with Christ, I mean, you've got to let it grow. But I wouldn't suggest to say today, I mean, look, I know Jason made an appeal um, for spending an hour with Christ. But honestly, if you're not used to that, it becomes torture. Because why? We end up, we end up looking at our watches. You know? Okay, can I go yet? <laughs> you know what I mean? Look, Devotion is just this, at least it is to me. What has God got to say to you today? And honestly, if you get that in five minutes, praise the Lord. If, if God is not speaking to you at all, then I, get to be, I start getting worried. Okay? It's like, God, why are you not speaking to me today? I get worried, really. Because you've got to learn something from God every day. So for me, really, if you can get something out of your devotional life and it only takes five, ten minutes, praise the Lord. But, you know, as you grow in a relationship, I'm sorry, five minutes is never enough. Just give me more time. Give me more time, right? But correspondingly, let your faith, let your love grow with Christ. And so, no, I don't put a time limit on it. It's just how long it took me to read through my Sabbath school lesson. That's all. Um, but I don't put a limit on that. Just hold on a minute. We had another hand here as well. Oh. What, if, what if you have the faith, but the leader of the church does not have the faith? What do you do? Um, pray for him and be a good example to everybody else. Don't go to another church and find a leader that has a faith. Because your leaders will always let you down. Man will always let you down. The arm of flesh will always let you down. But be the change that you want to see in the church. Yeah, And you know what? If you have that faith, people will cannot help but to see that faith and they'll be attracted to that faith and it will change others around them. So, yeah. Um, just make sure that you are faithful and that God put you there for a reason, but make sure you be the change 
Don't complain about the change that is not there. Be the change that you want to see in the church. And look, honestly, sometimes it takes years for it to come to fruition. But if God called you there, make sure you're there. Yeah. Dr. O. Maybe it's my own problem, but I find the concept of uh, having faith enough that when you ask God, He creates what you want right away. We were talking about that yesterday. So if I ask God, I want to enjoy an hour uh, devotion with you every day. Make it happen tomorrow. And we're not used to one hour. It becomes torture. Why that means I don't have enough faith? No, but faith is on the Word of God. And nowhere does it say one hour. <laughs> so, uh, everything that happens instantaneously has to be in the Word of God. Absolutely. How about uh, kicking drugs, kicking the habit of drugs? I've seen some people instantaneously. I'm not going to smoke again. I'm not going to take heroin. Now others cannot. So... Is it a measure of faith or is it a measure of uh, their natural, God-given uh, abilities that they are exercising? It's absolutely a measure of their faith. I've seen people that have never been able to kick drugs. I've been seeing people that have had to go through rehab. I've seen people that had to just take counseling. I've seen people like my brother, he got into drugs, but he never took any of those. He never uh, went through rehab or counseling. But by the grace of God, he was able to kick it. I, I have a hard time saying that it is due to faith that you can kick it one day and those that take uh, counseling and take months because of the lack of faith. Uh-huh. I, I think there's something to do with the physiology of a person. Possibly, but you know, last year's speaker, Robbie, he, he said when September 11 happened, overnight, he threw everything away, he changed. And I looked at him and was like, my faith is, my testimony is not like that at all. Yeah. Mine's like a big U-turn, taking years. Yeah. But his was one day. He changed around. He gave up everything. He quit his job. And it's like, physiology or not, I don't know. Yeah. But I believe it still comes back to some foundation that must be laid upon by the Word of God, which he did have when he was younger. So uh, my, my problem is in... Uh Judging even myself, if I take longer, I don't have faith. If I take instantaneous, uh, uh, I find an instantaneous result, then I have faith. I, I find it difficult to apply to myself or other people. Well, when it comes to, I mean, if we're talking about physical right, substances, right? The, the faith part, where it begins, is here in our heart. The fact that you have a desire for change, is always a good sign that the faith of, or the, the, the work of the work, Holy Spirit and the Word of God is working in your heart. Does that work begin straight away? Absolutely. Does a change in your mind begin straight away? Absolutely. If not, why would you even want to quit your drugs in the first place? But in terms of not denying the fact that there are substances that linger in our body, or you know, even just caffeine that lingers in your body, right? Or hormones that rush through that from certain things. Um, of course, there are what we call withdrawal symptoms, right? Sure. And that's where it takes sometimes a bit longer. 
But the fact that you have a desire for change, to me, shows that the Word of God, the Holy Spirit's already working in your heart, which out of nothing it came. True? That's faith. That's fine. It's just whenever I've seen healing, whether it be spiritual or physical in the Bible, it's always instantaneous. You know, King Nebuchadnezzar, the minute he looked up to heaven, bang, his reason returned to him. The minute that Naaman came up out of that water, he was healed. The minute that Jesus, in Mark 1, verse 42, it says, as soon as he had spoken, immediately leprosy departed. We don't, definitely don't see that sort of healing in, in our day today, but it will come again. You know, the works that Christ did will be manifested in even greater measure when the latter rain is poured out. Good thought. Good thought to think about. <laughs> well, it seems like our time's up. Come, let's have a word of prayer. We'll end it here. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, thank you for being with us so far. I pray that you continue to guide us in our quest for truth and a quest for understanding what it means to live by faith. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to begin in the Word of God. And may that faith grow up in our hearts and produce the the fruits of righteousness that all the world may see and know that there is a true and living God that lives above in heaven. And so, Father, may you please continue to guide us throughout this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.